Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they have survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. So guys, today we have something for you that is very special. I mean, every week we have special people. That's why we have this podcast. But I so loved to interview this guest that we have today. And I call her a naughty yogi. <laughs> because when you hear to the story and you hear the story of someone who is now a very well-established yogi um, and spiritual teacher, how she started and uh, she went through all the drugs, uh, alcohol, and even driving at the age of 14 without a driving license and lying to the police. You know, when you meet her on this podcast, you will absolutely fall in love with her. But Wun, what did you love about this podcast? What actually uh, was the most important thing you took away from it for yourself? I thought she shared so many life lessons there. And the one that, that's most important for me was the fact that she kept following her heart and moving her life from one stage to another. And she's experienced so much. And that is very inspiring. And, and the fact that every time she follows her heart, she gets what she wants. And, and that itself perpetuates this cycle that gives her this level of confidence that I think is quite rare to see. But also, I think she's been really successful throughout her life. Uh, and that, that itself just gives clues to people like what you should do and what you, sh- you shouldn't do. And I think this whole podcast, she shared so many inspiring, actionable like thought process that she had. And also, I think what she really shared that really hit me hard was, you know, life is very short and you mm-hmm. really should be doing what you really want to be enjoying in your life and really want to mm-hmm. experience in life. And so I think that's a really strong message that she's leaving to people. Yeah. And, also, and there was one thing that I really enjoyed at the end of this episode and I highly recommend everyone to listen to the full episode because at the end, she did a very amazing meditation, a sort of blessing for us and that is so powerful. Mm. Thank you, Woon. Exactly. I mean, I I actually enjoyed every single second of this uh, interview and I was sitting at the edge of my chair and like (gasps) holding my breath, which you shouldn't when you're speaking to a yogi. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, the the whole podcast is entitled Journey to Your Bliss, I think, right? That's what we've entitled it. And because she is an embodiment of someone who has a blissful life, I can actually say, because I've spent you know, a few days with her. And, but also, there's two things that really touched me, what she said. Number one is that you need to become empty enough 
in order to have a blissful life, you need to become empty enough to hear your soul. Yeah, but also she said empty enough that you know you've lived through life that there's no more desire, which was amazing. Yes, and yes, and you know, because I've read so many spiritual books and I've gone to see so many gurus and some of them, particularly the Indian ones, and she is Indian, right? Particularly the Indian ones, they say, get rid of your desires and just focus on the breath. And, but she says, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> she said, no, you actually fully fulfill every of your desire. If you, you can drink, you can take drugs, you can have lots of sex. <laughs> but she said, no, don't give up on any of your desires. That's why I love her. She yeah. says, yeah, you actually... She said, do everything that you feel drawn to and you love, but at the same time, become empty, connect with your heart, breathe, and find that the spiritual practice that is your spiritual practice, right? But don't give up on anything. And I loved it. And the quote that I actually would love to read, I don't know if I'm saying this exactly, but as she said it, but she said something like, in order to have a blissful life, fall in love with yourself, with every cell in your body, with every organ, and fall in love with every single aspect of who you are. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So guys, enjoy this podcast. Please, please, please share it with others. Or maybe just share it with people who want to have a blissful life. The miserable ones, don't send it to. (laughs) 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 Yes. Enjoy it. Awesome. Today, we have someone so special. And I want to introduce you to Paramjit Anand who is a spiritual leader and a healer. And she's very well known for her full seven system, which inspires and guides you to tap into your full seven chakras and therefore live your fullest, healthiest and the best kind of life that you could. And so Pam or Paramjit, the different people know her by a different name. Um, Can you please tell us, what do you feel so far? Because we're going to go through your whole childhood and your life, which was so amazing, taking you to where you are right now. But looking now where you are, from where you are right now, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? You know, I'm proud of being me, living a life of bliss, living a life of happiness, living a life of joy in every moment. And being authentic, being real, you know, proud of this beautiful retreat that I've built, you know, from scratch. I'm proud of the support and the love and amazing family that I have. I'm proud of doing yoga every single day for the last at least 15 years, you know. But if it's just five minutes, you know, it's, I'm proud that I can, yeah, say that I've built we call it a sadhana, a spiritual practice, where I connect every single day. And that connection brings me what I just said, the joy, the bliss, the happiness. It's not just words. It really is a place from where I wake up every morning and I look in the mirror, I look into my eyes and say, hey, good morning to my beautiful soul. And yeah, the word proud, you know, it's just I don't even know if, if I like, I'm, I'm kind of proud of others. I never say I'm kind of proud yes. of myself. I've never given myself a tap on the back. You know, if, if you ask my mother, what are you proud of about, you know, your daughter, she would list off lots of things. But for me, I've always been a lucky person and I've always believed 
like ever before I was spiritual. I think I was born spiritual unknowingly. But I always used to think if you want something, you can have it, you know, just do that. And, you know, as a flight attendant, which I'll tell you about soon, people used to say to me, how do you manage to get on all these standby flights? And I'm like, why shouldn't you? You know, in my head, I see myself at home having my mom's dinner and I see myself on the flight, you know, and this is way before manifestation and, you know, the art of attraction and all these things. And I'm proud of myself, the way that I live, you know, if you really do ask me, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes, I know it's a funny uh, you know, question, what are you proud of? Because we're taught not to be proud of ourselves, that it's like big-headed and selfish. But I think it's like probably the better question, it's like what do you celebrate about yourself? What do you love about yourself? What are you delighted about yourself? And so before we dive in into your fascinating story, of your life. Can you tell us a little bit about this retreat that you have in Goa? Tell us about it. Yeah, so it's Riverside Shakti Retreat. It's a dream come true, actually. Again, it's something, what can I say? It's, it's from my vision board. I never imagined it would be as beautiful as it is. I'm sitting in it right now and I'm looking up my spiral staircase, which leads to a beautiful dome. I built this place after a lot of heartache in Goa where, when I first moved here and I decided to go smaller and build this retreat which hosts up to 10 people and I have a lovely studio on the top floor with a pyramid roof and it overlooks a beautiful river and when you go in there and you just chant any word if you say love you'll feel the love vibrate if you chant all because of the pyramid roof it's just got this acoustics and this vibration and this energy that comes down it comes down from the you know the peak of the pyramid down into the studio and it's my home and it's my retreat space and I invite people from all over the world to come and do personal retreats with me group retreats with me come and work with me come and play with me and just live with me you know it's it's my my little haven my personal okay. haven in Goa <laughs> okay so I can't wait guys to share with you Pam because She's not always been the spiritual master and teacher. In fact, her life has been nothing but easy. I mean, what you've gone through is quite interesting. But the fighter, the warrioress, the fierce nature, you've always had it. You called yourself a tomboy like me. I've also been a tomboy and I still have short hair and I always wear trousers. You know, the first time I saw you, Pam, I said, oh my God. She is my kind of girl and you have the radiance about you, but you also have the fierce energy about you that cuts through crap. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning. Okay. So you're born into sure. Indian family. Your surname is Anand, which means bliss. Yes. And at the age of 14, your father dies. Yeah. Does he die suddenly or is it a long death? How no, did he die? it was shockingly suddenly. I mean, it was, we just literally <clears throat> four months earlier had moved from Ealing where we born and brought up to Croydon. And my parents had bought a convenience store, like an, an off license. And my father was like, you know, it's too much traveling. You girls have to move to Croydon now. And we all just literally moved to Croydon in the summer. It was in August. And we were really sad because my older sister went to Uxbridge University and I went to school in Ealing. It was a girl's school, Ellen Wilkinson. And I was like, 
dad, it's going to take us so long to commute. And they were like, change schools, go to a school in, in Croydon. And I was like, no, I don't want to change school in the fourth year. And I've, you know, I've done my marks and all these things. And I said, don't worry, dad, I'm going to commute. And I remember it must have been about September the 8th or something. And we just literally started back at school. And I was on my way home and my mother called me. No, did she call me? Did we have a phone? I, I think, no, I was already home. We had to call my sister. I'd already just got home and my mum said, I need to take your dad to the doctors. Will you sit in the shop? And I was like, what, on my own? Are you sure? And she was like, yeah, yeah, you'll be okay. It's, it's still early. So my mother went to the doctors and from the doctors, she called me and said, I need you to come. Will you just close the shop? And I was like, mum, is everything okay? And she said, just call your sister. Tell her she needs to come home straight away. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I called my older sister. She was in her office at work. I said, please come home. There's an emergency. I don't know what's going on, but come home. I went to see my mum at the doctors and they said, they've called an ambulance for your dad. And I was like, why? And they said, the doctor says it's serious. So I said, mum, I'm coming with you. And I went, I'll never forget that, that evening, like two hours in the hospital with all these checkups. And the doctor came out and said, uh, your father is seriously sick. He could actually live for two weeks or he could live for two years we're not sure but he's got to stay in hospital and unfortunately within eight days my father passed away and it was the biggest shock to all of us you know my mother was not even 35 years old at the time my dad I think had just turned 40 and it was a big shock and I remember he was in a coma the last time I saw him and and actually I'd seen him the Wednesday before and he said to me you need to make sure that you stay in the shop with your mum. It was like, he gave me all these orders. You are my boy. You haven't got any brothers, but I want yes. you to take care of your mum. And I was like, dad, just get well and come back. He's like, no, you stay in the shop. Don't come and see me. Just stay in the shop. So I, I was a bit angry with him. But on the Monday when I got to see my father and he was already in a coma and I was just like, what? And I remember sitting at the edge of his bed and having a really long, deep conversation with him. And I think now when I look back, I was like, oh my God, that was when I first started doing soul communication. Yes. And being 14, I had no idea that I was actually communicating with his soul. And we had a really deep chat and I heard his voice and I remember everything to what I was wearing and me silently arguing with him. And yeah, I'll never forget when the, the nurse walked in and said, I'm really sorry and turned the machine off. And we were like, what? And my older sister was screaming. My mother just went into shock. And I, I was just like shaking. You know, I literally went to <laughs> smack the nurse. I was so like, what, what have you done? And that was it. It was just like that. He was gone. He was gone. He was gone. And obviously he's given you instructions. So you went into action mode. Absolutely. And including uh, <laughs> driving, learning how to drive at the age of 15 on your sister's driving license. Tell us about that. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think I might have even still been 14, but <laughs> it was one of those things I said to my mother because they'd just bought the shop and um, her family, she has three brothers that had moved to the States and they all said, sell, your, sell the shop, move with the girls to California. And we were like, oh no, mom, we don't want to go and live with our uncles. And, you know, we just didn't want that. And Mum also wanted to work in the shop. And I, I said, Mum, I can help you. I'll go to school and I'll sit with you every evening and I'll, I'll do the cash and carry and uh, teach me to drive. And she was like, you're so young. I said, but Mum, if I let my hair down, I don't look that young. You know? So, <laughs> so she, she, I never forget, she took me to the MFI on um, Thornton Road. I don't know if you know it because I know you're from the area of Croydon. 
just off the pearly way and yes. she took me to the big car park there yes. and she's like okay give it a go and after an hour she was like you're I can't believe you can drive I said I know I can't believe I said I've been watching you for a really long time but I've never been <laughs> able to do this and no word of a lie within a week I was driving around this car park and I was doing three-point turns and I was reversing. And I think within two weeks, she's like, okay, I'm going to let you drive back to oh the shop. Oh my God! Criminal family. And it was, it was honestly without even L plates. I'm not going to lie to you. It was without L plates. And I was like overwhelmed. I was like, oh my God, mom, I can really drive. And I love this. Mom, and we used to, the only time we would actually go to practice driving was after we closed the shop, which would be at 10.30 at night. So that was where my driving lessons used to be, 10.30 to 11.30 at night. So, and when I drove back, there was, of course, not a lot of traffic. Um, but very soon I was driving and I got pulled over by the police. And okay. yeah, that was the first time it happened. And I was like, and they said, um, do you know, you just went for a red light. And I was like, no, it wasn't red. It was going red. I, I said, I saw it was still green. But when I went past, it went, it went amber. And he looked at me and he's like, do you have your driver's license with you? And I went, no, I'm really sorry. It's at home. And he went, well, I'm going to have to give you, what, what did they used to call it? A probation or something? There was, they used to give yeah, you like a yeah. slip that you had to go and show all yeah. of your documents in the police station. Yes. So I literally got my sister's documents, you know, her driver's license, her passport. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go and see if this works. And I went and produced, that's what it was. It was called a producer because yes. you had to produce your, your documents. And I produced and he was like, thank you very much. You know, don't go through red lights again. You know, you're lucky we're going to let you off. So I was like, okay, I'm driving on my sister's license from this day forward. So I turned from being 14 to being 18 and a half overnight because that was my oh. sister's age. And the only thing I didn't change was my name. But yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> now, and now talking about eight, being 18, so even though you were much younger, sort of early on when we had a very quick chat about what we're going to be talking about today, you yeah. said that by the age you were 18, you had everything you wanted. You had the house, you had the car. So how did that happen between that moment of your father's death and driving your sister's car to having <laughs> everything you ever wanted by the age of 18? Tell us. <laughs> I think it was definitely some divine blessings that were showered upon me. I think my heart was always open trying to do the right thing, even though it was wrong, of course. But what had happened was I used to love school before my father passed away. But then with all the traveling and the fact of running the shop with my mom and not being able to study, my grades just got lower and lower. And, you know, from being an A-class student, because my dad used to really make us study, it was unbelievable what he used to teach us. Um, to then not studying at all, you know, it really mm -hmm. had, a, had a big effect. But one of my teachers, my maths teacher, he always had a really big soft spot for me. And that's another story, but I won't share this now. But he always had the soft spot because I solved an amazing sum uh, that my father had taught me. And he put me forward. There was the careers teacher. We'd had an opportunity. The school had opportunities to put forward some of their best students to work for banks. So my maths teacher said, I'd like to put Paramjeet forward. And I was so grateful. Ended up going for an interview with Barclays Bank and NatWest Bank and got both jobs. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I've got the opportunity to work. I know I'm not going to get many GCSEs and I can't go to college because I have to run my mom's shop. Like, thank you, God. Thank you so much. 
And I started working like a week after I turned 16. My birthday is actually next month in June. And in July, I think it was July the 1st or 2nd, I started working for NatWest Bank in Victoria High Street. And I was really good at my job. I was really good with numbers because I'd been working the till at my mum's shop, doing her books, doing everything, doing all of this, you know, her accounting. I was good in the bank and they loved me. Within three months, they said, we'd like to offer you a full-time job. And I was like, wow. um, don't you want to see my results? And they were like, oh, have you got them? Please bring them in, but we're still <laughs> going to offer you a job. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful because, okay, I passed a few GCSEs, but not what, you know, my mother or my father would have really wanted for me. But that was a blessing. And by the time I was 17, I'd visioned and dreamed about what car I wanted because I used to see it on the motorway and it was actually a racing car. Uh, you won't believe this, but a Sierra Cosworth. And yeah, I was the envy of every boy I knew because it was like, how is a girl driving a Sierra Cosworth? And I, I love speed. I was a tomboy. And working in the bank, I got a lot of good perks because I got, you know, a nice big loan to, it was an interest-free loan actually. So it was really, really fortunate. And and I was earning two salaries because my mum was like, if, if you save all your banking salary, I'll pay you salary for whatever else you need money for. And I was like, well, mum, I don't really need money. I said only for clothes. And I kind of, my friends always come home anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was saving up a lot of money. And when I turned 18, my uncle actually, he'd come over from California and he said, oh, you work in a bank. Why don't you ask them if you can get a loan for a mortgage? And I was like, oh, do you think they will? And I was like, he said, of course, you know, why don't you ask? So I, I remember going in to see my bank manager, the manager, uh, I'll never forget him, Mr. Hunter. And he's like, yes, if you can get together this much cash, we'll give you a loan. So I said to my uncle, I said, oh, I've, I've got to get 40,000 pounds. And he's like, how much do you have? And I said, I've got 26,000 saved up. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm, here's the rest. And he was so overwhelmed with, you know, this, 18 year old saving up all this money and you know and I was amazing. just yeah it was when I look back now I think it was pretty amazing so yes by the time I was I think 18 and a half I bought my first house which I ended up renting to the council and it just became an income wow. um, you know so it was like a second income which yeah the tax man did take quite a lot of it away but <laughs> it was still something that really put me on the ladder and then I, I, I used to remember I would coach my friends unknowingly the yes. word coach coach wasn't around but I used to yes, right. I used to tell my friends the format like guys if you save this much money every month you need this much to deposit you can get a loan you can get a mortgage you can get your own property why pay rent and I you know I've got friends now that say to me thank you for helping me get on the property you know ladder See? 30 years ago there we go you know yeah so that's <clears> how it happened so darling, so you've started off very nicely. Okay. And yeah. by the way, did, what, what age did you get the driving license? Because I wanted to ask This you. will make you laugh. I was, it was literally, I did two driving lessons because I needed a school. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went for the first lesson, the, the driving instructor looked at me and he said, so my dear, how long have you been driving? And I went, um, not very long, about seven months. And he went, are you sure you don't mean years? And I, and I looked at him, he said, he said, like, I've never seen anybody come to uh, come for a driving lesson holding only one hand on their steering wheel and reversing with the other hand. <laughs> the yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah. Um, and he's like, 
if you want to pass your test, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Two hands on the steering wheel, always look in your mirrors and do not touch any of the, you know, any of the seat to do reversing. And I thought it was hysterical, but I passed after literally two lessons. I passed first time and I was literally just turned 17. Okay. So I'm glad that you passed your driving license. It just, it just was playing on my mind. Okay. So then, um, then something happens and you end up leaving Croydon, leaving Ealing and going off to Tenerife yes. to enjoy yourself and to completely change your life and dive into sex, drugs <laughs> and rock and roll and having fun. So how did you end up sort of turning around your life yet again? Oh, Again, I grew up very quickly and when I was running my mom's shop, you know, I was not even 20 and people used to think I was like 35. They thought I was a very older person. I felt so much older and, and yeah, there was something that happened in the family and mum was like, go take a holiday, you need a break. And it ended up me going to Tenerife, having such an amazing time. I came back and was like, mum, I think I want to quit my job. And she was like, are you crazy? And I was like, no, I think I really need to do this. I want to understand how it feels to be 18. And I miss that. Yes. So mom was great. She blessed me and I went to live in Spain and I had a really amazing time. And yeah, it was the early 90s. So if anybody knows about the early 90s race scene, you know, and how it was in Tenerife in those days, I had the most amazing time. And yeah, those were the days when I think it was when LSD and all these things started to come back mm -hmm. on the scene and the happy smiley faces and I was trying lots of things but I always had my I would say my head screwed on you know out of mm -hmm. a lot of people that would OD and a lot of substances and I was always the one that would always take care and be the driver and you know mm -hmm. never take more than a tiny bit of something you know because I always wanted to be present and conscious I always had that within me and I saw a lot of sad things people that really kind of lost themselves to too much of, of substances, relationships, some really heavy drugs. And it, and it used to make me really sad. And I just got to a point once and I thought, okay, it's time for me to move from here. You know, it's time, I've had my fun. It's time for me to think about my life, where I'm going, what I'm going to do. And, you know, an incident that happened actually in Spain helped me to make that decision too. Otherwise I could have been in a lot of trouble. And I got back to England and it was like, what do I want to do? You know, what job do I do? I don't want to go back to banking. And, and then one day I was thinking about flight attendants and how I'd been on so many flights from Spain to the UK, from Ibiza to the UK. And I was always quite envious of their jobs and can you look at them? They go all around and, you know, look what they're doing. They're so lucky. But I was afraid my mother would flip if I asked her the question. But I did. One day over a cup of tea, I was like, mum, what would you say if I applied to become a flight attendant? And she was like, flight attendant? What do you mean, a, a hostess? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, that was my dream job. When I first came to India, when I was like from India to the UK, when I was 12, I dreamed of being a flight attendant. And I was like, oh my God, mom, can I fulfill your dream? And she's like, yes, of course, if you want to do that job. So I was really blessed. I applied to AUK Leisure, Leisure International. And I, I got the job. And yeah, in the 90s, I became a flight attendant who had the most extraordinary time of her life. You know, it was still a lot of sex, drugs and alcohol. Maybe not the drugs, but a lot of alcohol. Uh, being a flight attendant, a lot of parties, a lot of fun. I mean, it was just great to meet so many different people, travel the world, you know, all of the Caribbeans, 
USA, Venezuela, Cuba, just all these beautiful places. And then I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind going to Thailand and I wouldn't mind going to Sydney and Philippines and all these other places. And I thought, God, I think I need to get an airline, you know, get a job with an airline over that side. And I picked up a magazine. Lo and behold, Gulf Air was advertising. I applied and I got the job. And I was like, okay, thanks, universe. Yet again, I got what I want, you know. And I didn't know about the law of attraction then. I don't think the secret had even come out then. You know, it was just what I was doing. You know, was, I used to want it. I used to believe I could have it. And I used to do the work. You know, I'd put the work in and voila, there it was. And th this is what amazes me that whatever you touched, Okay, whatever you decided to do, you were fully granted that immediately yeah. without any doubts. You just went for what you wanted and you got it. And of course, you've had lots of different jobs, but in all of them, you were highly successful, highly yeah. paid, and there was nothing, nothing that was stopping you at any point. And I think this is what started from the moment you were probably born or even when your father died then you said okay this is what i'm going to have so you had this powerful masculine warrioress kind of energy about you Absolutely, that you applied yeah. into everything you did but you never lost your consciousness you always stayed awake aware and present and so so you've been a hostess or flight attendant for many years, but then you got into doing other things where you made, again, a lot of money. So can you briefly tell us how you swapped from doing this to being the highest earning person in the company? <laughs> yeah, so it's, that was in my 20s where I really, you know, enjoyed flying, traveling, having so much fun, like it really was the best time of my life. And I got to a point after about five and a half, six years and it was living in the Middle East and actually what had happened my best friend who I started the company with in, in golf she was leaving to get married and I was like oh I'm gonna really miss her because she was my buddy I, I live with her and we had the most amazing apartment and I thought do I want to do this all over again and I've seen every country that golf air go to and actually I want to backpack now I want to go and see Australia and you know I had started thinking about I don't want to go back to England, but I want to stop staying in five-star hotels and buy one of those rucksacks that I used to see people carry when I'd be, you know, going to all these wonderful places in Thailand and Sydney and all of these things. So I actually spent quite a bit of money, but I bought like a bunch of ID90 tickets. I don't know if you know what that is, but when you work for an, an airline, you get discounted tickets that you can use. So I, I bought a load of tickets and I had this whole map that in like in this next year, I'm going to use all these tickets and travel for a year. And the last ticket was going to leave me in Australia. And that's where I was going to end up staying. And what happened was, was I was about to go on my trip and my older sister was coming to Goa. And she's like, oh, you should come with me. And I said, oh, I don't want to go to India. I don't like India, you know, as a flight attendant. Honestly. Big Indian. I don't yeah. like India. <laughs> honestly, when I was a flight attendant, we used to fly to Delhi and Mumbai and Bangladesh. And, and it used to make me really sad, you know, being an air steward, stewardess, we used to come out of the airports in our lovely uniforms and have a lot of people begging, coming up to us, you know. And it was something that us, us air stewardess used to we all used to do it would be like collect pens and, you know, books and stuff. And I'll never forget one time we had all this food left over 
And I decided, I was like, I'm going to give it to all these people that are waiting for us when we get outside of the airport. So I just filled up this carrier bag, you know, and um, we went out and I ended up giving, instead of just some pens, I gave this bag of food, you know, and, and I ended up getting into a lot of trouble because, of course, it had the Gulf Air logo on it. And, you know, word got round and it was like, who did that? And, you know, I was honest. I put my hand up and I said, yeah, it was me. And they, they said, you cannot do that. You know, it's Gulf Air property. You took it off the aircraft. And I was like, it was food that was going in the bin. You know, it used to make yeah. me so sad. And, and India used to, it used to really upset me because I, I didn't feel Indian. I felt very British at that time, you know, and I'd only ever been to India maybe once or twice. And, and I used to think of India as... I'm so poor and yet there's all these people in cars and I never understood it I never really got it and so when my sister said we're you know I'm going to Goa I was like oh I'd rather not and she said oh my god you don't know anything about Goa come and I got her and fell in love I was like this is an Indian Tenerife it's got beaches it's got nightclubs it's got you know everything and instead of going traveling I ended up spending quite a few months here I managed to get to Thailand. I didn't manage to get to Australia. I spent quite a few months in Thailand and Manila in the Philippines and then came back to Goa. And mm -hmm. nearly, very nearly, was going to keep this as my residency, but I had a, a nightmare. I was going to buy an apartment here. It was like, we don't call it gazumped, but there was like two brokers selling the same apartment to lots of us. Mm. And I lost a little bit of money. Um, and my mother was like, please come home. You're still so young. What are you doing? It's now it's time for you to get married, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, let's see, mom. Let's see. So I did. I came home and I tried to buy a place. I got gazumped twice. Third time, I was like, if it happens again, I'm going back to Goa. But it didn't. It was the best property I could have bought of the three. And I started looking for a job. And I got this wonderful job. I was telling you there was a choice between being an, a recruitment consultant in Liverpool Street, working crazy hours and having on-target earnings, or a job that was 10 minutes, like five-minute drive, 10 to 15-minute walk from my house that I just bought, working for this company called Job Opportunities, doing recruitment sales. And it was like for a publication. And I, I was going to be a field salesperson. So I thought, that sounds like fun. It sounds easy. I can, I can leave home at quarter to nine and be back at quarter past five instead of leaving home at, you know, maybe six in the morning for the job in London and not getting back till, you know, really late. And the job was amazing. I was really good at it. I used to hit my targets in week one and make a lot of extra commission. And yeah, these opportunities kept coming. And, and then after a year, my boss was like, oh my God, I wish I could give you a pay rise, but this is a national company and we can't. We can only give you the uh, statutory rise and we have to double your targets. And I'm like, but why? He said, because you double them every month and we can't afford to pay you the commission. You're like one of the top three salespeople across the country. And in the end, he said to me, I've never had to say this to anyone and I've never wanted to. And he says, and I don't really want to say it to you, but I really like you. And if I was you, I'd go and find a better job. You know, so then fortunately, somebody had offered me a job a few weeks before, I, th I think a few months before, and I contacted them. I negotiated the salary that I wanted, the commission structure I wanted. And within six months, I was earning six figures. And, you know, for my 30th birthday, I bought a brand new CLK convertible, you know, literally cash. I didn't even need to get a loan. And life was good. You know, I bought 
a house which was an upgrade, a, you know, a detached house in South Croydon. And I even found the perfect partner. You know, I was like, everything was perfect. Life was perfect. I had it all again. Wonderful. What I would love you to tell us is this. If you were to teach this, okay, in three sentences to people around the world, how to have the life that they want at that current moment because things change. And I remember you said that just before we started recording, you said, I had a choice to travel to London, uh, come home late or walk to work. 10, 15 minutes, have a sh shorter days, make lots of money. So I've decided instead of to have a hard life to instead of work hard, I decided to work smart. Yeah. Okay. And so if you were to teach people how to touch everything and turn it into gold, whatever they touch to turn it into gold and make money with such ease, what would you say? I think the first important thing is, is to understand why you want the money. What is the purpose behind, you know, working however hard you do? What is the reason behind it? What is the why? You know, what kind of lifestyle do you want? And, you know, my mantra was, I'm living the lifestyle of my choice. Because I asked myself those questions, what do I want? And do I want to be sitting on a train? Like I did the pros and cons, you know, I took both of the jobs and I said, What's the pros of working for this company and what are the cons? What are the pros of working in the company in Liverpool Street? What are the cons? And, you know, the pros really, oh my God, outweighed the cons when it came to the job in Croydon because I, I knew I wanted to go to the gym and, you know, do my kickboxing, which I was doing at that time. Uh -huh. You know, I knew I wanted to wake up in the morning and have time to eat breakfast at home. I knew I didn't want to spend hours commuting into work like the other job because the other job I was thinking I would have to commute an hour and a half each way every day. That's three hours of my time. I would have to be on public transport, you know, so that was a con for me. The other job was like, I can walk to work. That's like my exercise, you know, oh, I'm going to get a company car. I'm going to be traveling around, going to places, me, myself and I, you know, with, you know, listening to the music I want meeting lots of people. The other job, oh my God, I'm going to be sitting in an office having to do telesales and try and, you know, it was recruitment. I had never done recruitment, but I had some friends in recruitment. And they said to me, they say, they always said it's a lot of long hours and it's a lot of hard work, you know, and placing people, the commission is great. And yes, you can earn up to a hundred thousand pounds, but it's hard work. And I don't mind working hard but I like to work smart and I don't believe we need to work as many hours as people work. You know, I think, hold on a minute. Life is about experiencing, not about work, work, work. You know, God has given us so much choice, so much to do, so many experiences that we can actually go, Oh my God, I really want to do that. You know, like even now during this, this lockdown period, you know, so many free courses, there's yes. so many, you know, so many things that you could do that, you know, I think even the universities, Cambridge are offering all these free trainings. There's so much out there. You could actually be at home now and become whoever you want if you actually made that choice to do that, you know, instead of spending hours on your computer doing your job, you know, I mean, I think about all these people that must be furloughed and I really hope that they're fulfilling some of their dreams right now, the things that they've always wanted to do, but never had the time you know, and back then, for me, time was valuable, you know, for me to be able to come home, 
and cook my partner a dinner and be able to sit in front of the TV after we had our dinner and cuddle up and watch a movie in the weekday was, it was, I was like, yes, tick, 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 you know, those types of things. So what I would, you know, to the answer to your question, the first thing is you need to ask yourself, what is it that you love to do? What do you like? And make sure that you find time in every single day to do that, whether it's just for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, or even in a week, make sure that you do the things that you love in that week. Because when you do the things that you love, you will smile easily, you will feel fulfilled. The work, when you do your work, you'll be happy to do it. I've always enjoyed every job. And, you know, throughout my life, since I was, you know, I left my first job, I think it was every two to two and a half years, I'd be like, okay, I want to try something new. I want to go to another airline. I want to try another job. I want to go to a different country. I want to do this. And it's only maybe 15 years later, I look back on my life and I thought, oh my God, I've been doing that for a really long time. And I, and I like it because look at the experience I've had. And my life is full of experience. Like even with the yoga journey that I've been on, I never got a PhD in yoga. Did I experience it? Yes, every day of my life, and I still am. And that's the difference. You know, I've met people with, you know, such great qualifications, you know, either at my ashram. I, was a, I felt it was about three years ago, I was a little intimidated by this lady who came and said, yes, I'm a PhD and I teach yoga to the university and I do this. And she was an Indian, you know, lady in a college. And I was like, oh, okay, I've been teaching yoga and meditating and I do all of this. And what qualifications do you have? And I said, just the teacher trainings that I've done and, you know, bits and pieces that I've learned on the way. And throughout this week, I was with this lady. By the third day, she said to me, I have no, no experience compared to you. I have only textbook. She said, when I look at you, I admire you so much. I wish I could touch my feet. I wish I could breathe the way that you breathe. I wish I had your physique. I, I'm overweight. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. She said, you've taught me something very valuable and I'm going to start practicing what I am, a, you know, I know as my profession. And I was like, wow. And then my Guruji gave us a really good analysis of it because I told, I was telling my guru and he said, my child, he said, if you want to know how a cappuccino tastes, he said, somebody could explain to you. He said, but it's not until you experience that fluff around your mouth and, you know, the taste of the coffee and, you know, and it was really interesting. I was like, Guruji, do you drink coffee? That was my, my thing. And he was like, I've, I've had a cappuccino before, you know, and he, he laughed at that, you know, because I couldn't imagine my Guruji actually drinking cappuccino. But it was that whole thing, you know, and also another teacher I, I trained with, he used to say, if you want to know if a pear is sweet, you have to taste it. So it's, if you don't have the experience, how do you truly know? Mm. You know you, you, yes, exactly. And, and, and darling, so I just want us to take you from this very, very successful job and having a partner who you wanted going to marry. And then suddenly, well, it's not sudden, it was a slow process. You end up being in India and teaching yoga and so without going into details, because we've actually been here quite a while, wow. <laughs> um, but I would love you to tell us the most important things, like the key most important things. How did you end up from being high-earning businesswoman who was headhunted, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, to 
ran an ashram to run a yoga center in India and being a spiritual teacher? The key most important things. I think the key most important thing is listening inwardly, listening to your intuition, your inner guide, your inner teacher. If we can silence our mind and still be still in our body, there is a voice that talks very loud and clear. And the path of yoga has given me those experiences. And the experiences have become deeper and deeper. And my body and my mind have become stiller and stiller. I can sit for many hours now, you know, in a cross leg position on the floor, even all night if you ask me to, without moving and becoming so empty. And if you asked me that 15 years ago, I would have said, that's impossible. I don't believe people can do that. And even though I can talk for Britain and I have so much energy and I'm still doing some crazy things, you know, in life. And I'm, you know, lots of things are happening right now with things that I want to share and do, because I think it's important that we all believe this and we all start our journey. And the journey doesn't mean that you've got to become a yoga teacher, but the journey is, is that you tap into your soul. The journey is that you learn to quiet your mind. The journey is that you fall in love with everything that you do, that you value each and every single day, because our days are precious. Our time on this life is very, very short. And we've got to have as many experiences and fulfill all of our desires as quickly as we can. And if you have a desire, do something about it. Because if you don't, it's just going to stay within you. And usually it eats you up. And at the moment, I'm living my life to make sure I fulfill all the desires that I've had since I was young. Because to become truly enlightened and at peace and the yogi that I see myself one day becoming, maybe in another 20, 30 years, sitting on a mountain, maybe in the Himalayas, is that I should be desireless. And right now I still have desires. And I sometimes think, oh, maybe I'm, I'm ready right now to go and sit on a mountain in the Himalayas. But no, I get downloaded all these wonderful ideas and these things I should be doing and the people that come to me and, and how I love facilitating transformation and I love uplifting people and motivating people and caring for people and saying, guess what? You don't have to do you know, anything in particular, but connect to yourself. It doesn't mean you, you, you will not reach these states if you don't become a vegan or if you drink alcohol or if you smoke cigarettes no you can still do all of that you know it's it's falling in love with yourself it's about the relationship that we build with ourselves it starts with us number one we have to take care of our soul our mind our body our hearts we need to communicate with every cell of our bodies we need to love every cell, every organ, every part of our lives. Because when we fall in love with ourselves in totality, then we become beacons of light and that light spreads out to everyone and everyone feels it. And you, that love radiates, it radiates out of you and people smile around you, you know, and, and people say to me, oh my God, you're, you're, you're quite infectious actually. And I'm like, <laughs> as long as I'm infectious in a good way and it makes you laugh and makes you smile and I can inspire you, you know, I don't want to be the only person that's your guru or your teacher, whatever you want to call me. I want you to, to be your guru. I want, to, I want you to realize that you're a divine being, that, you know, we all need support. We all need groups and tribes. And, you know, we love relationships. But the relationship, the number one relationship is with yourself, your soul. And that's truly what my message is. And that's what I want. I want to spread to everyone. And, you know, whoever might not get it, 
just come have a chat with me. Come try one of my crazy practices that, you know, make you so empty that you hear the voice, you hear the voice within and you realize that that is not your mind. It doesn't come from your mind. We have not a voice that the ego talks to us all, like, all day long and it's usually criticizing us and putting us down and, you know, making us, you know, not like ourselves. But there's another voice. There's a voice that is so loving and so kind and so caring and it can guide you. It can heal you. It can calm you. It can comfort you. It really is. And um, talking about voices, uh, we have uh, briefly talked today about your experience of going to uh, meet your guru, your guruji, a friend of your yours took you there and you stayed there for about two weeks and you learned from him. And um, you've mentioned that you've experienced um, Kundalini awakening. Now, can you please, because then you were still so, so called not spiritual, you were sort of getting into it, but it was all new to you. And then you were sitting there with a man who you've just met, meditating and doing yoga for two weeks. And you said, I've experienced Kundalini awakening. What is Kundalini awakening? So gosh, it didn't quite happen as simply as that, to be honest with you, my love. You know, I was... I I'd kind of like what had happened four months prior, I went, you know, I had a, a, another story, which is too long to go into. But when I had, you know, the issues I was telling you about the land that I bought and yes. got into trouble, I was like, I literally went bankrupt. And I was like, Oh, my God, how am I going to survive? And, you know, I went back to yoga in the sense I was doing um, other teachers classes. And I was looking like, how can I feed my soul again? And I, I always knew yoga did. And I, I came across this amazing yogi, which I did a retreat with. And he, first of all, woke me up to what yoga really was. Um, and again, that's a really beautiful story, but it's too long to go into. But what he did do was give me a practice of pranayama, a breathing technique, which he told me to do every six hours. So I was doing at 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. and midnight. And I didn't know what was going on, but I started to feel different. And my friends, like sometimes we would be, at a, you know, like just going out for dinner and I'd be like, oh, you're just going to have to excuse me. I need to go and do my practice. Or, you know, at midnight, if we were, if it was a Saturday, we were at like the Saturday night market. We have an amazing market here in Goa. And I'd be like, guys, um, I need to go and do my practice. And I'd go and find a quiet spot, sit behind a tree and do my, my pranayama. And I carried on doing it. And I don't know, there was something within me, the will within me was like, you have to do this. I had no idea why I had to do it but I was told I had to do it and I did it. And then I went to this workshop where I met the American lady who I said, who facilitated, who's the guru that taught this, this technique? And she told me about the Guruji. And four months later, luckily she called me and I, I got to meet this guru. And I think what really impressed this guru was this practice I was doing. And he said, how long have you been doing that? And I said, uh, Guruji, I think about four months. And he said, very good. He said, any difference? And, um, you know, because he has a little accent, a little Indian accent, which I do very well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so then, so then he, um, you know, he said, yes, you keep doing it. And after like five days, he asked me to stay for this extra camp, which was not just a, an ordinary, ordinary yoga camp. It's something called Bija Mantra Chanting. And it's not just the single beej, which means seed, seed syllable for your chakras. It's actually a four-syllable chant that you do to literally awaken your chakras. And, and oh my God, for the first time in my whole life, 
after doing yoga for four, I think I'd been doing it for about four years then, four or five years, I couldn't believe it. I could literally feel vibration pounding, rattling in my chakras and energy. I could literally feel it. I could even see it. My third eye open, all this stuff was happening. And I didn't just have an Kundalini awakening because we all have Kundalini experience. So Kundalini is a dormant energy that lays dormant in the base of our spine, in our root chakra, in our Muladhara chakra. And it's an energy that's coiled around a gland. The gland's about the top of your thumb. And this energy has its hood down. When you start to stimulate this energy, which, you, which everybody can do through pranayama, uh, different types of yoga, sometimes even dance, sometimes even singing, sometimes a vibration of sound, what happens? The hood lifts and we get like waves and vibration which travel in an anti-clockwise rotation up your spinal column in a central nerve called the shushumna. Now, when that starts to happening, it can pierce through other chakras. And a lot of us have had these experiences in many, many different fields. And I was having them all week long. I was like, oh my God, what, what is that? What is, you know, feeling all these things. And I would go to sleep, my body was vibrating. And I was like, wow, this is unreal. And it was five, five I think the sixth day was the final day, but it was five days of full on chanting for like eight hours. And I'm not... I'm talking heavy chanting, like clean mum sunshine, clean mum sunshine, clean mum sunshine, you know, really crazy mantras, which I will share with you at another time. And, and I was using my bandhas. Bandhas are locks that we have internal. And again, that's stuff you learn in yoga. And I was activating my bandhas and I was pushing this energy up. And I was doing something right. And it's only now, well, actually, you know, when I, after I had the experience that I realized Oh my God, that's why I was given that pranayama by that other yogi to do for every six hours because it was cleaning my channels. Uh -huh. It had cleaned my either and my pingala, my sun and my moon channel. So the energy could rise up my middle channel. My guru could see that through his psychic eye. And he gave me what we call in India, diksha. So usually Kundalini only rises when you have a guru diksha. That's a blessing from your guru. And my guru activated, he, he activated through my psychic body and he facilitated from afar my kundalini rising. And it wasn't just waves and vibrations. My kundalini actually unraveled and went whoosh and it, it shifted up. And I, I, the funny thing is, Goshi, you won't believe it. Somebody recorded it five years later, sent me this video of me having wow. this. Yeah. Can you believe it? And I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, I thought I lost the plot, but it, I didn't think I looked that crazy. And it was like electricity going off inside of me. And what had happened, it had pierced one of my grunthies. Grunthi is like a gate and it's a grunthi that was in my heart center. And when it pierced this grunthi, this gate, my heart chakra literally exploded. And what can happen is that the energy can also go all the way to the crown of your head. And if that happens, that is pure enlightenment. And if that had happened, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you now. I would be one of those gurus that, you know, is completely self-realized and, you know, what I'm working towards in this lifetime would have got there. And when afterwards, like years later, when I've spoken to my Guruji about it, because I had no idea what was happening. You know, he said, he said, you had um, an you know, Ananda of your heart center. And I was like, Ananda is my surname, of course, as well. It's bliss. It's like ecstasy. And, and I understood that that's where something so powerful had unblocked in my heart center. 
And life for me changed from that day forward. It was like, oh my God, I want to serve. I just want to teach people how to feel as great as I do and have these experiences, you know. And, yeah. and you know, I was just like an excited little bunny, you know, because I was still like a baby and new in this field. And gosh, it was after that experience, not even knowing what had happened to me, I came back to Goa. And when I lost the land I'd mentioned to you, I decided I wanted to sell everything and just build a small retreat where small groups of people could come. I wanted to stop being this crazy big entrepreneur because I came to India to build like a great big yoga shala with 10 cottages. And I had this vision that I would host these wonderful retreats for like 20, 30 people and, you know, constantly do that, which I'm doing on a smaller scale and I love it. But in a way, I'm glad that didn't happen because it gave me time to be with me. And, and I had those experiences and, and it's that which truly, truly transformed my life. And I wanted to serve and I sold things you know, I stopped doing property and I stopped doing everything else. And, and at that same year, something else magical happened because I didn't just meet my guru, who is my yoga guru. I met a spiritual Chinese healer, a miracle Chinese master the same year. And then I ended up spending five years with him studying soul healing. And, oh. and the first time I experienced being a channel to heal somebody it blew my mind. I couldn't believe I literally saw someone heal in front of me. And I said, Oh my God, like, I can't believe that God has chosen me to do this. So and Punk, that, what is that? What, what is soul healing? What happens in the session when you do soul healing on someone? So soul healing is literally heal the soul first and the mind and body will follow. And if you think about every single cell in our body has consciousness, it has matter, it has energy, and it has consciousness. And that consciousness is soul. And in every single organ, every system, bodily system, every cell, there is soul. And what we do, what we don't do actually is forget to communicate with the soul of our organs, with the soul of our heart, with the soul of everything. So when I studied with Master Shah, it was phenomenal. You know, he's this amazing doctor, Dr. Zhigong Shah. And it was like this new family that I'd entered. And I actually remember asking my guru, I was like, Guruji, I don't know whether it's because I really want to go to Hawaii. And that's where Master Shah is that, you know, I don't know, is this the little girl in me that likes to travel, wants to do? And my Guruji said, my child, you are going to heal thousands of people in this lifetime. You go and learn, you know. Wow. So parallel, I was learning from a Chinese master. And I was learning from my Guruji, wow. ancient, yeah, ancient Himalayan practices, which I studied with my guru and I still am. Um, you know, I studied hardcore with him. While I was building this retreat, I used to spend half the time in the ashram and I became a teacher of the ashram. And he taught me these ancient Himalayan Kundalini Kriyas that are from the lineage of Mahavda Babaji. They're like sacred practices. And then these Bija Mantra uh, classes, which my Guruji said, no, teach just the first two mantras the four mantras are too powerful he said one day so I've been teaching those for the last you know eight years and then Master Shah was all about healing and it wasn't about me going around saying oh I'm the healer let me heal you it was like no I'm a channel and whatever the divine wants to do through me is what's going to happen and I'm going to teach you to heal yourself you know, it was like, I can heal myself, you can heal yourself, together we can heal the world. And that's what I, you know, was teaching for so long. And because that's what I believe, we're all healers, but we just haven't all tapped into it. Because if you think about it, Goshia, you know, even if, I don't know if you've done any healing work, but if you have a headache, straight away, your hand's going to go to your head. 
Yeah. Why? Because you're healing hands. If you have a stomach ache, straight away your hand goes to your stomach. Mm. And if you actually just softly take your two hands right now and place them together, really without any tension in your hands, keep them about an inch apart and just close your eyes and breathe into it, instantly you will connect. Yeah, instantly. The energy, energy starts, yeah, I can feel it, I can see it, it gives me goosebumps. So what can, you, you, what can you do with this? So now I feel it, what can I do so with this now? So, if you, so right now, you, you mentioned something earlier to me before about what, what you've been experiencing. That, Ring, you know, ringing in my ringing, ear. Ringing in yeah. your ear. So now all of a sudden, if you take that energy and you focus as if that energy is pure healing light and it's going into the healing, you know, into your ears, into wherever that ringing is. And you're saying, I heal my ears. My ears are healing. Love, 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 love. I heal my ears. My ears are healing. Love, 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 love. And you see, see that energy is divine light, healing light, and it's melting away. And if you truly believe that, if, if within your heart there is a belief that, yes, you are the healer, magic happens. That is the magic of this universe that we That's live That's it? That's it? it? That's so you, simple? I, I'm telling you, do that every day for three minutes. You know, talk to the soul of your ears. Say, dear soul, mind and body of my ears. Dear soul, mind and body of my, you know, the ringing in my ears. I love you, honor you, and appreciate you. Please show me what you have to teach me. What do I need ah. to do? What, what karma do I need to heal? What person do I need to forgive? What do I need to forgive about myself? Because the biggest way of healing is through, you know, clearing karma is through forgiveness. And that's ah. one of the biggest healing we can all do. So I learned all these magical th things, you know, with, with Dr. Jigong Shah. And I learned so much about pranayama with my Guruji. And the most pow powerful thing is sound. Everything is sound. Everything is vibration. And when we learn to chant, that's why I love chanting. And on my website, you know, I've got videos of me chanting mantras for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And, you know, even my camera crew are like, how do you do that? You know, like, I'm like, do it with me, give it a go. But you, you lose the mind and you're in the mantra. And when you're in the mantra, the mantra, the words are so healing. Like, you know, Sanskrit mantras have so much power. You know, even if you chant Aum 21 times, it's so healing. It balances the left and the right hemisphere of your brain. If you chant from your heart, love, love. Love has got such high vibration. The word love carries high vibration. You don't have to worry about trying to learn a Sanskrit mantra, you know, which I love to teach, you know, because I love them, you know, and sometimes I think, oh God, I hope I'm pronouncing it right with my Cockney English accent. <laughs> like, I do my best. And I also know that you have to be careful with pronunciation because with these mantras, you have to say them correct, correctly because they can sometimes have adverse effects. So there's uh. certain mantras I don't teach because I'm a little, you know, like, oh, I don't want to say them wrong, you know, and I meditate upon them. But what I do know, I, I want to share. And that's my passion. I want to share what makes me have all this energy and makes me heal those that come to me as a channel. You know, I am just a channel. That's it. Wonderful. All, so all the channels. So we so talking about this. Okay, now everybody who will listen to this will wonder, oh my God, how can I w learn from Paramjit? You know, how can I learn? And wonderfully, Thanks to the coronavirus again, you've <laughs> taken all this time to create a membership site, which people can experience for free. So first yeah. of all, talk us through when they go there, what can they experience? How much time do we need to go and experience it? What, what's on it? And, um, and, then, and then also how to find you, what's the name of it? 
Sure. So, so I, you know, I, I never used to think about being on social media and all of this stuff. It was really like, oh no, that's for the young, for the young lot, you know, <laughs> even though I sometimes feel like I'm still 20. Um, and, and what happened was I was writing a book and I went to Hay House and they said, oh my God, we love this, but you oh. don't have a platform. You don't have a platform. And oh yes. Like, they had the same like, thing happened to me. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what's, what's a platform? I had no idea. And they said, well, you need to have, you know, at least 10,000 followers. And I was like, yes really are you kidding me and I was yeah. like okay so a few months later I you know again I put it out there to the universe I was like universe if I'm supposed to write these books that you have told me because it came as a download yes. and I'm supposed to have 10,000 followers and you better send me some help and lo and behold the help came and I was like oh my god on video are you kidding me you know I can't talk to a video camera and the guy said don't talk to the camera just talk to me and yeah. he was a he was the sweetest guy that I worked with last, this was about 18 months, about 18 months ago. No, no, it was this time last year. No, no, it was actually August this time last year. So anyway, from August last year, no, 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 it was the year before because last year I was in Peru. Sorry, I get mixed up with time and years. But what happened anyway with this young guy, within eight months, he grew my Instagram. Like, you know, we went from zero to 7,000 in, in eight months. Ah. And I was loving it. And I was just teaching little things that I do. And, and I didn't know anything about Instagram. And I still don't. People keep trying to teach me. And I'm just like, oh, can you just do it all? I'll just do the videos. Yes. But I realized I'm not real enough on Instagram. I, I make videos and I put them up there. And I'm like, oh, God, people don't actually know who the person is behind the video because I don't even call it my name. It's actually called the full seven and the full seven T H E F U L L seven S E V E N is all about the full seven chakras because everything that I think I've, I've experienced and I learned has got something to do with the chakras, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a chant, whether it's a sound, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a meditation, it's all to do with this psychic body. So that's why I chose the name the full seven. Um, and it's been a dream since this last 18 months or so to make videos so people can practice with me because I know not everyone can come to Goa and a lot of my students and part retreat participants have been on at me for ages. Do some videos so we can practice with you on your, you know, in the living yes. room. So it, this really went out to some of my closest students, I would say. But it was a plan that I had in January that in March, I was going to get a videographer that was going to come and work for me, and we were going to make videos so I could do a membership section for people that knew me and to attract new people to practice yoga online with me. And I got the most amazing videographer. We got into lockdown, and all I've been doing since then is been making a lot of content. I built this um, page on the website. So when you sign up, I'm giving the first 30 days free. You don't even have to put your payment details in because I know people are sometimes a bit like, oh, I don't want to do that. So it gives you the opportunity to see whether you connect, whether you think, oh, okay, I like the way she explains it or I like her energy or maybe you don't connect. I mean, you know, we're all unique and individual. So there's three sections. Actually, there's four. There's uh, one section about yoga classes where there's a couple of beginners classes to start with and the rest are kind of intermediate. And, you know, if you're advanced, you, I think you'd enjoy them too. Then the second one is pranayama practices mm -hmm. where there's a lot of videos where I actually teach you, first of all, how to do some of the most, I, I'm not going to say the word easy because I've been practicing them for a long time. So they're easy for me now, but they're, they're, 
they're the most beneficial. There's a few pranayams on there that are kind of like ones that I think we could all learn. And I teach you how to do it. And then there's another video where I practice with you. So, you know, you can learn it, try it a couple of times, and then practice with me. And then there's another section where there's meditations, guided meditations, as well as um, some chants. So if you ever wanted to hear me chant 108 times for a mantra or something, there's some of those. And then every two weeks, I upload new videos. So if you do like it after months, I'm only asking seven pounds. And actually, 30%, I've even said 50%, is going to go back towards um, the ashram because my guru has this mission to save the Indian breed of cows, which I'm really passionate about. So whenever I earn money, 30% of my, my net profits always go back to the ashram. And that's just in you know, my gratitude. I have some other charities that I always, always donate to as well, but this is something really passionate. So if you did donate, you know, seven pounds, you know, three of those seven pounds would go straight to the ashram. Um, and it's only seven pounds, which you don't even get yeah, one class for, exactly. you know, and I'm going to be doing some live Zoom classes <laughs> and I'm thinking of charging seven pounds just for one of those, you know, because it's really interactive. Um, but again, it's not about the money. And if, if you're struggling and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to do it, but I don't have the money, then reach out to me because I'm more than happy to do this as service. Because to me, it is service. You know, that's <sighs> it's what I love. And, and I have an Instagram page where I'm posting every, nearly every day and I've got some tips and techniques and mantras you can listen to, and, you know, links to YouTube. And I, I'm on a mission now to understand how to really get my message out to out to those that are, are not looking, it's not that they're looking for a guru, but they're looking for themselves. That's oh, what I'm looking for. I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm looking for a tribe that are looking for themselves and they want some, someone to help them do that, motivate them to do that. And it's not about making, I don't want to become a billionaire doing this because I'm content. I've fulfilled so many of my dreams. And if I make a lot of money, guess what? It's only going to go back to a center that welcomes everybody. You know, it'll be my not my our ashram or our yes. retreat where it's sustainable living lots of practices in all kinds of fields with lots of leaders coming to do their thing there you know that's my I see that soon I can see it already you know it's one of those I can see too manifestations happening as we speak and every time I say it, I get it shivers down my I spine. I see that too. Yeah. My darling, it has been such a delight to speak to you. You have been oh, such you. a wonderful guest on this podcast because I feel the energy that it's pouring out of you and people <laughs> can't see you, but they, I think they feel you. Um, and you smile all the time. You move with such grace when you speak. So the name of the website is The Full Seven. Yes. And that's the how people. Seven. Yeah. The full seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the full seven. Okay. Wonderful. And um, can we close this, um, this podcast um, episode with some blessing for people? Maybe some of us need some healing and you're a healer. So yeah, I think absolutely. that will be wonderful. So I pass this over to you and can you please give us a blessing or a prayer to Absolutely. heal us and shift us to the next level of expansion and bliss. Absolutely. Okay, I would love you all to just close your eyes, take your right hand and place it on your heart center. Don't push too hard. You can place your left hand gently on top. 
take a moment to feel your hands on your chest. Relax into your body by taking a deep breath in. Inhale deeply through your nose and you can sigh out through your mouth. Doing that three times. Inhale deeply and sigh. And again. And now close the mouth and do the same thing without the sound. Inhale through your nose and exhale. But with your mouth closed. And just notice when you do that how deeper the breath feels from within. Do that a couple more times and then just allow your breath to be relaxed. Begin to watch your breath, watching how you inhale, having a pause comfortable pause before you exhale and pause breathing in maybe you feel as you breathe in your hands lift as your chest rises contracting your diaphragm you may even feel that in your belly or in the back of your rib cage exhale and relax mentally Tell your body with love, relax. My body is relaxed. Breathe in and as you exhale, my body is relaxed. Just notice any change in your body. Notice if you're still holding onto any tension in your body. You may feel it in your hips, your shoulders. Silently silently repeat, my shoulders relax, my hips, or whatever area. Now I want you to imagine your breath is a beautiful, golden, healing light. And as you take this breath in, I want you to imagine this bright light illuminating your body within. Wherever you see, you feel your breath reach. And as you exhale, this healing light melts into every cell, melting away any tension, stress, worries, anything that's holding you back from truly being the best version of yourself. Allow your breath to be long and deep again. Visualizing using your mind's eye. Be creative. See, feel, go deep within to observe that light flow through your body. It may even reach your toes, your fingertips. And that light, the healing light, is so powerful. It's brighter than the sunlight. 
and it melts away all the blockages. The body feels relaxed. Every cell vibrates, absorbing this healing light that spreads across you. The breath is joined with life force, prana, chi, and this life force is so powerful, it gives every part of your being, your emotional body, mental body, spiritual body, and physical body, light, healing light. So it's time to let go, consciously, let go of anything that comes up that you know is holding you back. It's time to be present in this moment. Connect to your soul. Hear its voice. And be the best version of you. I send my love. I send my light. I am the channel and I ask the divine, all of my spirit guides, all of my transmissions, my downloads to join together as one and as appropriate for everyone listening to send to their heart centers, healing light, healing light. Healing light. And the light from the heart goes wherever is needed for you. Remember, you have the power to heal yourself. We have the power to heal this world together. We are all one. Love, love, love. And then to come out, of course, no doubt you want to stay there because I do, but I know time's persisting. Just know that that light is in the center of your heart, in your heart chakra. And then as we bring our hands together in a prayer position, we give thanks to all those that sent blessings throughout this podcast throughout this healing and then you can rub your hands together generate some heat in your palms give them a good rub you'll feel some heat the energy and then we cut the eyes to balance the left and the right hemisphere of our brains our masculine our feminine energies and we open our eyes into our palms into this beautiful day and if you look at your palms maybe you see a smile I always do with my I don't know if you can see my hands, Goshi, are they? <laughs> my heart lines have a smile. So oh, whenever they do. I, yeah, whenever <laughs> I see that, it makes me smile even more. So thank you. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Please share with us what you found useful and inspiring about this episode. 
you know somebody who is making a big difference in the world, we should interview them. Let us know. Please drop us an email at storiesofexpansion at gmail.com.